Hello and welcome to the Real Film Podcast with me, Corey. And me, Phil. Hello. Hello. Um, apologies if I sound a bit raspy. A uh, little bit hungover, but... Oh, didrums. Is Corey a little bit hungover? Yeah, I just couldn't miss the chance to talk about films with you. <laughs> <laughs> we we don't do it regularly enough. We need to do it three to five times a week, I think, on average. Yeah, let's make it a daily occurrence. Um, <laughs> Twice daily if we can. Morning and evening podcast. Today we are reviewing the Empire 100 Greatest Movies of the 21st Century. More specifically, we're going to go through the top 20, sort of go through our um, opinions of stuff, and then we'll sort of take a look back at the whole list. Anything, anything that sticks out to us to be a bit funny. Interestingly, this list is uh, by Empire critics and it's also by uh, Empire fans. So it makes it makes more interesting. It's a a mix of sort of like good films and popular films. I think is what we've noticed. Do they uh, did they ever tell you how they split up? Like like weight the votes? Do, do do the people have the same weight in their votes as the critics? Did they ever say that? Yeah, I'm not. It doesn't really say. I'm not hundred percent sure on that. To be fair, I know that they what they will do because I, I may have even voted on this. Like because so the list is from 2020. So one thing we are going to do at the end as well is anything from 2021, uh, even 2020 and um, 2022, 2023. Anything that we think was should be there we might uh, mention as well. But no, I don't really know how they weigh it up. I know that they obviously give you three picks, so you just vote for three. Um, yeah. And then obviously that's how they'll weigh it up. But in terms of um, maybe, I think they'd probably go with like the fans first and then maybe there's like some critics at Empire who are just like, no, this needs to be in there. Yeah, yeah, I'd love yeah. To be the, I'd love to be the person that uh, racks up the... Um, the top 100 and then has a look and go no that's fucking shit let me move yeah imagine, yeah, imagine <laughs> that just looking at my card i don't agree with this at all <laughs> um it's actually a, a, a no offense to empire on their website it's actually a slightly broken list because um number one uh, there is no number two so it goes from number three to number one no so i'm going to start from number 21 um okay oh i did realize to, that if oh, you're ready that, to get straight into it absolutely i've got it here so, number 21, uh, Children and Men, Alfonso Cuaron, uh, 2006. Thoughts on that? I, It's higher than I would personally place it, but it's almost certainly in my top 102. I think it's pretty close to a modern masterpiece. Um, yeah. And I think it's... Uh, it, as time's gone on, I think Roma is a special film. I, I still think yeah. Children of Men ekes it slightly. I think Roma has some really, really special moments, but in terms of technicality, I think Children of Men takes it. Um, yeah. Uh, they're, 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 they're very, very different films. Um, and I think that just goes to show Quaron's, uh, um like, breadth. Uh, the amount yeah. of, like, like you, he can go from this to Prisoner of Azkaban to Roma and not miss a beat. Uh, and I think yeah. that, that takes a special dose. So I'm glad it's on the list. I think it's, as I say, it's a little bit higher than I'd personally put it, but I also think it's nice that fans and critics can agree that this is on the list because I don't know if it got enough attention when it first came out. So Yeah, I think, it's, not that it's a sleeper hit, but it, I feel like it's only really in the 2010s when people started considering it like a modern masterpiece a little bit. Like mm. Maybe that's because I wasn't like, I mean, I was relatively young when it came out, relatively. I uh, just wasn't into films. 
Um, <laughs> so maybe maybe I just didn't uh, I just didn't clock that people were saying that, but I feel like more in the 2010s and 2020s, people have been like, yeah, this is a modern masterpiece. Um, it's yeah. definitely uh, one of I. I think I like it depends on the day really for me. I could either say I prefer Roma or I prefer this. Um two different, very different films like you said, but um yeah. yeah, and I think it's it's hard to say. I mean, it 100% if I if I mean, I feel like the thing to come out of this is that maybe we will do our own list for the website. Uh, maybe not top 100, but we might do like top 20 or something like that. Uh and cuz cuz I've never sort of made the list of like 21st century films. I I don't know if it would like crack my top 20 it may i just don't know i haven't really uh put much thought into it but i'm not yeah. it, there's worse one there's worse films on this list <laughs> yeah that's really true. shouldn't be yeah. there <laughs> this yeah, is not yeah. this is not a problem at all the next uh for 19 is 2014's interstellar which uh for a fan voted film i or list i should say i thought this was going to be higher um if you ever want to listen to a very in-depth conversation we've had about Interstellar, we talked about it in our Nolan tournament, knockout-style tournament, uh, where yeah. we air the, the highlights and grievances we have with Interstellar. I think it's a little bit high on the list, but I understand why. Like, I know how much general public love it, and also it's a, it was a critical and commercial success. Uh, it just obviously didn't resonate with you and I quite in the same way, I don't think. But I get it. You know, I get it. Yeah. I think Nolan Nolan's represented on this list quite a few times and I I completely understand why. Yeah, I mean, he is the most popular director, um, in especially 21st century, let's be honest. Like, I, don't, I get it again. I know how popular Interstellar was uh, around the time everything from like the music is like surely the music is like one of the most listened to scores now or something like yeah. that um you must be or one of the highest rated ones anyway but um yeah i think people like obviously really love it love it and i'm with you i actually thought it might be in like the top five of a fan-made list so um I, yeah it wouldn't crack my top 20 i don't think but no um i understand why it's there um yes yeah, so at number 18 we have uh, Martin Scorsese's Wolf of Wall Street from 2013. Now, I, again, 100% get why it's here, and I do really like it. I think when people have said sort of like it's a glorification of a lifestyle, I disagree with that. And stuff. Like, I think it's a brilliant film, maybe doesn't need to be three hours long. Um, but I understand why it's there, but again, I don't know if it cracked my top 20. It'd certainly be on the top 100 for me, I think. But... Um, yeah, um, it, it makes sense, again, why it's there. It was a very popular, Leonardo DiCaprio, obviously, in a film about drugs, sex, and being a cunt. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Everyone loved it. So, um, And it's obviously told with such an energy as well that I think people just like fell in love with it when it came out. And I do think Leo's fantastic in it. Um, I yeah, do get why it's is. there. But again, it wouldn't crack my top 20. I don't think so either. But it's interesting because is this... I can't think what else he'd done in the 2010s, but is this the last Scorsese film you think has that kind of Scorsese energy to it? Because the things that you think about what he's done more recently, Killers of the Flower Moon, Silence, yeah. things like that are way slow. And you know, you spoke about it on the review show when you spoke about Killers of the Flower Moon, about how 
not that it's necessarily more mature than these films, but it feels like it's made by someone a bit older, where it takes its time more. Do you, is this the last sort of like high energy Scorsese film? I think so. I think it was because it the story demands the high energy. I think I think yeah. to get across this lifestyle, this like fast and loose lifestyle that we're all playing, um, you need that kind of energy. And even though they are very different stories, the energy matches something of like a Goodfellas and Casino more so than it does of like Killers of the Flower Moon and stuff like that. Um, so I probably agree with it. Yeah, there. Yeah, it probably is the last because I mean, I mean, Silence is obviously is. Uh, can you imagine if Silence was told with the energy of Wolf of Wall Street? <laughs> I, the amount of money I would pay to see that film. A high energy silence. A Wolf of Wall Street energy silence would be uh, hilarious. And I would, yeah, I would, I'd watch that film. It wouldn't be good, but I'd watch it. No. <laughs> Where do you stand on Wolf of Wall Street? Is it like in, I mean, uh, you can say like all of Scorsese's films are good. Most of them anyway. But where does he? Where does Wolf? What's your opinion on Wolf Wall Street? I feel like we we weren't friends when it came out, so I feel like we may not. Have... Yeah, I think the more time's gone on, the less I like it. Not to the point of ever disliking. I still think it's a fantastic film. Yeah, I've watched more more films and more Scorsese films. That I've preferred. Um, yeah, yeah, and it it's just a film that. I don't know how to say this without sounding like an arsehole, so I'm just going to sound like an arsehole. I think it's a film 16-year-old boys love. And yes. I don't really know how to describe why that sort of like, as, I got, as I've gotten older, and as I say, watched more films and different films, there's different things I appreciate. Like, for example, yeah. I saw a clip of the scene. You know the scene where he joins the Penny Stocks place and he does that yes. first like big sale and everyone's really impressed with him? Yeah, I still think that's really well, well made. I just think it's way cheesier than I remember it being. Like everyone turning around and be like, "Oh, oh my god, oh my god," as if they hadn't like imagined that before. Yeah, do you know what I mean? It's just like I, I don't know. It just it didn't resonate in exactly the same way that it used to for me. But I still think it's a great film, and it would still definitely be on this list for me. Yeah, I don't know if you this uh, completely. I, I'm assuming when you say like you saw a clip of it or something on TikTok, do you find? Because yeah. I mean, I get I get a similar thing of getting a lot of like scenes from films on TikTok. Yeah. There's something about watching a scene on TikTok in isolation that sometimes has that like smoothed AI filter as well that it makes anything seem cheesy a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I mean, it could I do be agree that with you a little bit. Yeah, I do. I do agree with you a little bit. Um, I mean, I. Oh, 2013 i was i was probably i was a teenage boy so i definitely yeah. loved it <laughs> you'd be like you'd like 17 18 they were that kind of age so it's yeah. the kind of thing it's a perfect for that kind of audience where you're like i i i understand where people are coming from when they say that they see how it glorifies the lifestyle i don't agree with them but i understand yeah. where they're coming from because people boys of that age would look at that film and be like how fucking cool is that yeah, which is not what Scorsese's going for at all. But like you no. laugh and you think it's funny and and like people like that. And I mean, people still glorify Jordan Belfort as a person, but that's not yeah. Scorsese's fault that they do. It's like people glorifying Andrew Tate. You know, yeah, he, he he wants that response from people. He's trying to make that response. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. should we should we move on to the next one before we get on a yeah little roundabout fucking those type of people um it's a complete shift change here to number 17 for inside out um pixar's 
don't know what you call it, mag magmopus, I guess, in some ways. I would assume that you think this is probably too low on the list at 17. I imagine you personally would put it higher on the list, wouldn't you? Um, I don't know. I mean, if you've taken into consideration the whole of the 21st century, it might not... It's probably decent placement for it. Yeah. Um, I think, again, it's that thing of, like, I've never really considered even, like... A... <coughs> makes me sound like such a nerd but like for fun just ranking up a list <laughs> <laughs> but um i've never even really considered it because like, i'm sure if i put a thought into it i could think of 17 films that i think are better than inside out from the yeah, 21st sure. century um but uh i haven't got a problem i i wouldn't disagree with it um it's nice to see it there um i think people obviously love pixar from very like popular um it's very popular obviously it's like one of the most popular studios out today and it's nice to see that one up there yeah. actually ahead of uh ones that i thought it wouldn't be ahead of if that makes sense like we'll mm -hmm. talk about it afterwards like some of the ones that are on the list uh but yeah i'm 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 happy with it there i'm not i don't think it, it could go higher but in my head i'm all right with that placement I think it's about the kind of placement I would expect for me personally as well. It'd probably be in the top 20. I think it's so good. Yeah. It's, if you want, if you want to listen to a very in-depth conversation about it, we did a tournament for Pixar as well. We made lots of great cases about why Inside Out is a very deserving film. Um, didn't get far in our tournament, though, but that's not our No, fault. it didn't. Uh, if you want to hear me basically... Get, gets really stroppy because you, <laughs> you can hear you can actually physically hear Corey's soul leaving his body in pure anger um no fantastic film and like i it's something that i've heard you um say many times which is that inside out teaches kids that it's okay to cry that it's okay to be in touch with your emotions i think that is so important of a sentiment as well as just being a yeah. really entertaining and funny film you know bing bong is phenomenal and the way that like i think there's a lot of family and kids films that try to get people to buy in to something like bing bong and the payoff yeah. never works bing bong yeah. is the top tier of that sort of side character that they're trying to get you to emotionally buy into it i think it works so well yeah very true um so next which would be number 16 Mm -hmm. um, is 2001's Mulholland Drive, directed by David Lynch. For me, this probably should be higher. I think yeah. this is not only the 21st century, I just think this is generally one of the best films I've made. I think it's fucking phenomenal. Um, I'm, not, I'm not like this like crazy Lynch fan either. I'm not like I'm not like completely drawn to Lynch films, but this one is just like talk about uh, magnum opuses. Like this is his and. Um, yeah, I think it's one of the best films of all time, and it, I probably would crack my top three. Yeah, of the, absolutely. Of the 21st century list. This is probably the one. Uh, this is probably what one that I remember the least. Like, have watched the furthest ago. I need to read one yeah, that I need yeah, to yeah. rewatch. But even then, I still know it would easily make my top ten. Um, potentially, it's just one of those things. Being from 2001, people may have just kind of forgotten about it a little bit. Yeah. Um, in terms of the sort of general public, um, but just uh, uh, endlessly inventive and entertaining film. Um, on Empire's list here, they say 
you know, Christopher Nolan, Wes Craven make iconic films centered on dreams, but it's almost uniquely Lynch who seems to understand how dream logic actually works and is able to translate it to the screen. I think that's quite an interesting yeah. comparison talking with Nolan there uh, and I guess Wes Craven too. But I, I think the way that he uh, thinks of dreams in this film is so unique it's so it's it's weird calling it fun it's a weird film to call fun but i think it is it's just yeah well it's yeah going to that wes craven and nolan thing i think it's a really good good point is that when you watch something like a nolan film like inception and then some of wes craven's stuff it's like you're watching people experience a dream and in their own right they're good but when you're watching mulholland drive when you're watching lynch it genuinely feels like a dream yeah, yeah, and like yeah. he's the only filmmaker who who does that. He he um, gives he he gives a softness to everything. To like shot with the softness. Yes, yeah. that like I'm looking at the still now, and you I sometimes I think I forget that Mulholland Drive is a 21st century film because I think it's given yeah. a look that's supposed to make it look older. Because there was a mm. thing from like the 80s and 90s that they had a lot of softness to their shots, um, and like this quite brightness that I think gives it that yeah. like feel. Got another uh, animated film added to this list now. We've got Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, the first of this uh, new sort of Sony wave of Spider-Man films. We had Across the Spider-Verse this year. Um, I think this is a very easy inclusion on the list. It's Again, it's another one that is critically incredibly successful, commercially incredibly successful. Everyone universally loves this film. It is... In the age where you and I unfortunately complain about comic book films quite a lot, there's a lot of great comic book films out there, but I think, it, especially with MCU, they're just getting stale for us personally. Yeah. There's oversaturation. A film like Into the Spider-Verse to come in and just be that inventive and that creative is just... I, it was such a breath of fresh air. And even Across the Spider-Verse, which I think we both agree isn't quite as good, but it's still a fantastic film. I think just goes oh, to yeah. show how good these films are. Um, just endlessly inventive, again, in its own right. Um, the way it mixes animation styles is absolutely genius. Um, and how I, I, I feel like it's one of those films where you just you just like... It is so impressive how someone could be so creative, so unique, so inventive, but make such a easily accessible and commercial film too. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I think there's loads of things with Into the Spider Verse that you pull out. It's things like it's not only is it a great animation film, it's also now become sort of like it's now it, it kind of ushered in this new style of animation that I think we're going to see a lot of, like with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles this year, Puss in Boots as well. Um, using a bit of that style, I think it, it's, it's not just great; it's obviously influential already. And then you also have um, the fact that it's an origin story of a superhero that we've seen the origin story fucking how many times yeah, in the yeah. 21st century, and somehow they make it fresh. Well, how many oh, times do they amazing. do the origin story in this film? I know. There's so many yeah, origin stories true, in this film; it's entertaining yeah. every time. Yeah, they they just they absolutely nailed entertainment and craft with this i think it's one of the best animation movies of all time um i guess it's interesting because it's obviously to me above well sorry on the list it's above inside out whereas i also think inside out is one of the best animated movies of all time 
it'd be interesting to me because I think my love of Into the Spider Verse actually grew more from watching mm. Across the Spider Verse. I think like so, noticing yeah. noticing the small things in Across the Spider Verse that maybe I wasn't I didn't think it did as well as the first film makes me come to like I'm I come to appreciate the first film even more than I did when I first watched it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's interesting too cuz of what our next film is. Um I don't know if you had a look and saw Yes, another animated film. <laughs> another um, one of the best animated films ever. Another made. one. Yeah. Uh Hayao Miyazaki's 2001 Spirited Away. Um again, it makes sense to be this high, absolutely. Uh there's an argument to say it should be higher. Um I think as well, popularity-wise, it's very popular. You know, Studio Ghibli are one of the most uh, popular um, studios out there. And a lot of people consider Spirited Away to be the best of the bunch. Maybe we disagree. There's not, like, I know that My Name of Totoro is very special to us, but Spirited Away can't be far behind it. No, just in, in, in terms of, I've used the word creativity a lot, but, like, in terms of sheer creativity, in sheer uniqueness, I think this is just on another level isn't it i mean obviously we yeah. love my name is totoro we could have a discussion about that but the, the the thing is that this all of kind of miyazaki's films have are great in their own right like they're, they're great for different reasons and i think this is uh, just in every way creative at no point do you ever be like oh i feel like i've seen that in another film everything yeah. feels fresh everything feels new the animation is stunning and after you know i i spoke about earwig and the witch uh, oh, yeah. a few months a month or so ago on one of our review shows and this is just a prime example about why you that this sort of style of filmmaking doesn't work in cgi uh and it's just it's pushing what this style of animation can do to its limits i think um and that's not ignoring the fact that it's it's a wonderful story too. I think we we always talk about the creativity, we always talk about the art direction, but it's a wonderful story too. It is interesting. I mean, I, I think you probably could have, if you were going to take a wild guess as to what was going to be on a like top 20 of the 21st century, Spirit Away is probably going to be on a lot of lists. Um, I mean, it, Ghibli, uh, Ghibli have just been consistent, not even outside of Miyazaki, but um, I think... Miyazaki, especially in the 21st century, has managed to do things like Spirit Away. And I think The Wind Rises is fucking stunning as well. Yeah. Um, I really like Ponyo as well. I'm not, I don't think it's anywhere, like, it's not there, like, it's not as good a quality as those two. But Ponyo as well, it's really good. But yeah, yeah. Spirit Away is the one that stands out, isn't it? And they uh, are, from this. I've heard people say about how good the boy and the heron is supposed to be as well i've seen lots so of so, yeah when that comes out which is soon i think um but yeah fingers crossed that's just as good uh speaking of good well that's a terrible segue these are all good speaking films. of good <laughs> speaking of good um eternal sunshine of the spotless mind is number the 13 14 13 yes I, 13. yeah this I actually rewatched a couple of days ago because I hadn't, I'd only ever seen it once, probably 10 years yeah. ago, and then I hadn't gone back to it since. Um, and I forget, maybe I don't forget how good this film is. I just, maybe I forget the specifics of how this film is so good and how the narrative yeah. constructed is so good. But actually, something that rewatching it made me appreciate more is that I think 
this film is more optimistic than people say it is. Yeah. Whenever I talk to people, I think normally people say the ending's quite pessimistic. That it's quite negative. But actually, I I think it's a hopeful ending. And it's kind of like, it's not like this isn't going to work out, but we're going to do this anyway. I feel like it's it's more like it doesn't matter if it's going to work out because it's worth it. You know, it's it's yeah. in, in in almost a cheesy way of me saying it is that it's, love is worth it to do this to go out of your way and try and find love. Um, yeah, yeah, it's crazy romantic as well. It's such a sweet film. Like, I it's so obviously invented. Everyone is like, like the the editing and the transitions and the camera work between scenes is phenomenal, and the way that it kind of. Uh, visualizes memory being erased i think is genius but it's such a sweet film too at its core it's so it's got a core of love that i think some people may potentially uh put to one side because i think the ending is a little bit more negative than i don't know yeah i see yeah yeah i think yeah i haven't to be fair i don't think i've watched it in a while but i've always considered it to be one of the better films ever made to me, it probably would be higher on the this list. Um, I think it, you kind of enter in a realm there, especially with like Mulholland Drive and then uh, an Internal Sunshine, whereas to me, they're like special, special films. Um, and I, like, I probably will have to, if we obviously end up doing our uh, tournament of however many, I think it's 128, is it? Best films? Yeah, 128. Yeah. yeah. Um, Big big tournament that we'll do. Uh, it's definitely going to be there, uh, so I'll definitely yeah. rewatch it for that. I haven't watched it in a long time, but it's just one of those where it just my opinions never altered of it. I've always just kind of watched. First time I watched it, I thought it was one of the best films I'd ever watched, and now, however many films later that I've watched, it's still up there. So I it's nice. No it's nice it. when you have those names. Yeah, and it, I mean, just in terms of the list, it probably should be about top three, top five at least. Yeah, I think it, I think it's a very good argument for that. Uh, the next film is number 12, uh, which is Damien Chazelle's 2014 Whiplash. Uh, again, I could understand why it's here. I think it was, um, I think for a film that came out in a year that was so strong, I think there's a lot of people that argue that this is the best film of 2014. Um, I think kind of it put, it put him on the map, you know, quite aggressively as well, because the film yeah. is just fucking phenomenal. And, like, uh, the last... I mean, the whole film is amazing, but that last, like, 20 minutes is just some of the best film you will ever watch. It's fucking yeah, it really so is. good. It's really um, good. Yeah, I maybe... I mean, because, I mean, I know that we've... Uh, we have friends who hold on, like, love this film, would, like, put it probably, like, top three of all time. Mm. Um mainly because of the connection to the music and stuff like that. So I've always thought in my head that I actually maybe don't hold the same opinion as people, but I still do think it's up there. It's fucking phenomenal. And that's probably a good placement for it. I think so too. The only thing I would say is that I think La La Land is a better film. And La La Land's like 23 yes. on this list. So, yes, yeah. I mean, I think it goes to show how good both Whiplash and La La Land are and how good of a director Chazelle is by having both films so close to the top that's the only negative i would say is that i think i would personally put la la land above whiplash but that's not to say how good whiplash is 
aside for outside of the La La Land stuff that I still think is obviously a phenomenal film, I think we've said it before when we've spoken about it, that it's an interesting film because I think people do immediately jump to the last 20 minutes and talk about how good that is and sometimes forget to mention how good the rest of the film is. Even as yeah. simple, something as simple as the opening. The opening is incredible. Um, it's just a, it's such a fantastic film to talk about toxic masculinity and um, uh, perseverance through this, like, or, the, or, or this sort of perseverance to try and find perfection. Um, I think is so interesting, and I don't think it tries to make a statement about what it thinks is right and wrong in these situations. It's just giving yeah. you characters that are sure of their opinion, but doesn't say if they're right or wrong for having those opinions, which I think is so important. I think Chazelle's really good at that, really good at making mm. characters that have opinions that you could disagree with, but not feel like the film is agreeing with them. Uh, yeah, well, it's yeah, important to make that distinction, isn't it? I think sometimes that's where, when, you know, we were talking about Wolf of Wall Street earlier... That's the Scorsese yeah. obviously does that, but I think sometimes people conflate. But just because you're doing a film about a person, it d doesn't necessarily mean the film agrees with the person. There are definitely people yeah. who have done that. There are people who have made films and made it seem like you're agreeing with the wrong person. I've actually got a, a thing there where I watched a film called the uh, the Family Stone recently. Have you heard of it before? I've Christmas heard of film. it. It's like 2005. Oh, no. Christmas no, I'm film. Thinking, I'm thinking. Of, I think I'm thinking of something else. It's got loads of famous people in it. Uh, Sarah Jessica Parker, Diane Keaton, Craig T. Nelson, loads right. of people. You'd recognise all of the cast. It's an awful film, though. Not just badly yeah. made, it's just a really shit Christmas film. But it also has... Sarah Jessica Parker is basically this uptight person who comes into uh, uh, Dermot Mulroney's sort of family. He's She's yeah. his girlfriend. But basically, she is really homophobic towards the one of the brothers who's gay and married to a black man and she's a bit racist towards him too but the, the film is trying to make it funny and then she gets really pissed off when Dermot Mulroney doesn't back her up when she's really like to the point where she says like um to the mum Diane Keaton like uh why would you wish for your kids to be gay don't you want them to be normal essentially and yeah. everyone's like, oh, that's so bad. And then she storms off and it's just like, oh, no one understands me. And it's like, that is, I think, a, an example of a film that gets the point of view wrong. Then it makes it feel like you should be agreeing with Sarah Jessica Parker there. Because this family, yeah. it's so bad that this family just pounded on her around the dinner table for having these opinions. But she is a piece of shit. And she said awful <laughs> things. And you should absolutely call her out for that. And Derek Moroni's character is 100% in the right. But anyway, sidetracking slightly, it's a fucking awful film. And I think that's a prime example of a film that has this thing that we're not talking about. Or, or like the opposite of what um, uh, Damien Chazelle does with Whiplash, which is have bad people, but you don't have to agree with their opinions. Um, yeah, yeah. You can just go along for the ride and sort of experience it. Yeah, absolutely. So before we move on to the next one, we just realised that we got the list slightly wrong. Basically, the numbers on the list, it goes down from where we are to three, and then it goes one, and then it does one again. So these numbers are correct until we get to number two, which is listed at one. So Corey was slightly wrong at the start, but only because Empire made this list a little bit weird on their website. Whatever. It doesn't matter. <laughs> 
Yeah, so Whiplash would be number 13, wouldn't it? Yes, and No Country for Old Men is number 12. Um, which, I is it pretty safe to say No Country for Old Men is the best Coen Brothers film? Uh, or at least in, in contention for being the best Coen Brothers film? Oh, it certainly is in contention. I think there's no people would make the argument that it probably is. Um, personal preference, I'd go Fargo. But actually, no, I, I would love Fargo. Go, I'd go No Country for Old Men in terms of uh, like craft because they they did something very special there. I think Fargo would is just my favorite Coen Brothers. That's film, a, I would probably I probably agree. Fargo is my favorite Coen Brothers film, but I think No Country for Old Men is the better film. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah. It's so phenomenally well made. And yeah, we we spoke about recently about, um, in, in our horror podcast, we talked about uh, moments of horror in non-horror films or things that felt like yeah. it. And I included the coin flip scene from No Country for Old Men because although it's technically tension and I guess thriller, there's this aura from Harry Bardem's character that he is almost a horror in some of the things that he does. He is an absolutely terrifying presence on screen and is an absolute powerhouse yeah i mean it's literally one of the best performances of all time i think people would argue yeah uh, and he makes a lot of that film as terrifying as it can be he makes that character terrifying but yeah the cobra was just uh i think they're just they are you know they're making bold moves as well with the way that they uh structure their film and things like that like what they do with like some of the characters um and how they get rid of some of the characters like quite abruptly is quite good um but yeah i think it's all brilliant um i know there's always that conversation we've mentioned it before i won't um i think it's actually the next film on the list but uh <laughs> yeah they always come up in conversation don't they and they, they just happen to be two of the best films um and I, it might just in terms of this this empire list because to me, in my head again with the Mulholland Drive and Eternal Sunshine, No Country might actually they would probably be ahead of No Country for Old Men in my list. But they, I no would Country agree. For Old Men would be in would probably be in the top ten. I would say. I would agree. I probably would put it in the top ten as well. But I agree that Eternal Sunshine, uh, and Mulholland Drive would be higher than this. I think it would probably be higher than the next one we're going to talk about too. But it's it's difficult to squeeze so many films in the top ten as well because I'd love to put Spirited Away in there. Um, yeah. But I don't know. It's difficult. I again, I don't think I'd put Whiplash in the top ten. But there's a lot of films in here. That no, I'm I don't think I would. I mean, a little bit higher. But I mean, this. I mean, pretty much everything in this top twenty, I would probably put in the the one. They would be included in the top one hundred of the twenty first. Oh yeah, pretty easily, pretty comfortably. Yeah. You're not. You're not question any of that but yeah i think top 20 is a different sort of kettle of fish isn't it so um Definitely. something like whiplash probably wouldn't make that but the next film that's again another fantastic film um is paul thomas anderson's there will be blood same as no country for old men it's from 2007 uh and like we've said there's a weird thing of because of their sort of closeness in quality and the fact it's the same year these two are always compared um, but There Will Be Blood is, again, just a, just a, like, it's visually a masterpiece. I think the character work in it is just phenomenal, and the Daniel Day-Lewis performance is just terrifying <laughs> as well. I think um, it's so complex of a film, and, you know, it's like what I was saying with Whiplash about having a film that you don't have to agree with the point of view of the character if it's made right. This yeah, is of course, prime example of that that 
Daniel Plainview is a fucking awful person. He's a, he is evil incarnate, but that doesn't matter for the point of view of the film. You're just experiencing what he's doing and the horrors that he sort of goes to the... I don't know what Empire say here. Um, uh, the evils of capitalism incarnate. Oh, Stole Empire's word. That's not good. Um, <laughs> but I think it's such a fascinating film. And you see, you know, it's interesting that this and there will be um, uh, and uh, No Country for Old Men came out in the same year because we were quite young at the time. But I think we can look back and appreciate how they both were kind of like hitting the peak of their directors. Uh, yeah, definitely like quality like this was the like oh and it it's one of those where both films could have easily won best director and best picture and no one would have batted an eye but it, yeah. it, and it, i'm sure if they came out one came out one year and one came out the year after or you know whatever i think they probably would have quite easily won both yeah uh, absolutely and yeah which way around was it did no country win director and then yeah no won no no country won everything there will be oh did it <laughs> Best actor, yeah. PTA oh. still awaiting awaiting that Oscar, I think. I think I don't know. I think There Will Be Blood should have won Best Picture, and No Country should I have won Best Director as well. It's interesting, like I said at the start with this list, where obviously they give you three options, and how we say how much people like compare these two films. I imagine it's a case of literally someone puts No Country for Old Men, and they go, "Actually, the next one probably should be There Will Be Blood as well." Yeah, <laughs> so that's no, yeah, no, yeah, no yeah. wonder they're so close. Um, yeah. But yeah, I. I, probably, I also I do agree with you. I think there'll be blood. Maybe again, personal preference again. Maybe plays a part, but a smidge above uh, No Country, but it's not much in it. Um, I think when I I know because we've been talking about um, doing our own sort of top one hundred films of all time list on Real, and then to do the podcast eventually. Um, I know in my list, there'll blood is quite high up actually i think it's in the top 30 uh whereas yeah, no country I, I think no country is probably like top 50 or 40 i'm not sure that ranking changes all the time the next film we had on was sophia coppola's lost in translation at number 10 um uh, this is an interesting one we spoke about sophia coppola when we did our best directors of all time our mount rushmore best directors um and how I think she could be in the conversation for female directors, but she hasn't had the incredible consistency that someone like Greta Gerwig uh, has had. Um, this is probably Sophia Coppola's best film, though. I think that's a pretty... Yeah. I, I can't think of any... I still think it's really good. I think 10 is very generous. I think I also there's that, yeah. aspects that have not aged incredibly well. And it's a great, like, it's a fish-out-of-water romantic comedy that is made incredibly well. But mm, 10th best film of the 21st century, I think, is a little bit generous. Um, I still think it's deserving to be on this list easily. In the 100, it's an easy yeah. inclusion, without a doubt. But I think, I think it's a little bit generous in the list here. Yeah, I think... Te- 10 is super generous, especially when we've just talked about There Will Be Blood, No yeah. Country for Old Men and Mulholland Drive and stuff. I think they are better films, but Lost in Translation is still an impeccably made film, one that's very, very moving. Um, and yeah, I love Sofia Coppola's films. I think it is her best film. Uh, Somewhere is also a really interesting film, yeah. but it's not quite as good. Um, but uh, yeah, 10's a bit high, 
but I would probably crack maybe top 30 for me. Maybe, no, because I think there's a lot of like 2010s films that are better than it and 2020s films. So maybe a crack top 50 for me, maybe. But again, I know now as soon as we finish this podcast, I'm going to end up making my own list of this. Yeah, I think I probably will too, to be honest. Yeah, um, at least maybe probably top 20. I'll probably do 20. Yeah. Uh, but this, when we go, obviously, as you said earlier, we're going to go through some stuff and some weird placements. And there's films in like the 80s and 90s that I would put above Lost in Translation quite comfortably. Oh, yeah, which is, 100%. Yeah. Again, isn't to say the Lost in Translation isn't deserving to be on the list. But again, it might just be, it's one of those things, it kind of goes against what I said for Mulholland Drive, though, that I feel like Mulholland Drive is from 2001, and I maybe the argument yeah. could be made that it, people weren't sort of super, don't remember it. But this is 2003, so I don't know if maybe maybe that doesn't work for this. But I don't know, I think there's, there's a, uh, a section of the general film watching public that I think people would know this film. I think this film is... Uh, got had quite a lasting impact on a lot of people and i totally get why uh yeah well i also i do also think lost in translation has one of the it's not really an ambiguous ending but the thing of her uh him whispering to her yeah is quite an iconic frame um and also is one of the better sort of ambiguous endings out there really i think it's great um yeah 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 a bit high for me but yeah um, yeah, the next one, uh, number nine, is uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pan's Labyrinth. I think it's from 2007 as six. well. What a... F- six, is it? Right, my bad. Um, yeah, Pan's Labyrinth, uh, arguably one of the best fantasy films of all time, I think. Uh, just I, Honestly, I think del Toro's sort of vision in this film is just spectacular. Um I don't know. I do think it's better than Lost in Translation. I think maybe we're at the same point where I think that's a little bit high for it, even though I do think it's a really good film and it'd crack my top 100 of all time and it would probably crack my top 20 of the 21st century. Uh, yeah. But nine is seems high to me, again, because we've already spoken about all these films that I think are better than it just. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, it... it... It, top 20 easy it's incredible yeah. it's one of those films that i studied in like gcse or a level media yeah that that when i got older and watched more films i appreciated more most of the films i studied in a level or earlier i came to appreciate less because i just would watch more films i would watch better films and i would sort of mature in my opinion yeah i think pam's labyrinth has only got better I think it's just got better with age. Um, and I think, you know, talk about ambiguous endings. I think the ending of this could be taken of one of two ways. One that is uh, uh, dire and sad and very depressing. And one that's very, very yeah. cheery. I always, in that situation, I feel like I always choose the one that's a little bit more optimistic. And I feel like the film, not that the film's telling you to feel one way or the other. I think the film, because it's seen through the eyes of a child... And it has this yeah. almost like a childlike wonder to it, even though it's pretty horrific in some aspects. Um, I, I think I think you could lean that way and and <laughs> not feel like not feel like you're taking the sort of uh, easy way out. But I I just think it's I 
I'm glad that Del Toro's won for something. I think um, yeah. Shape of Water is a good film. Pan's Labyrinth steals it, though. You know, I yeah. think it's 100%. a phenomenal film. Absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, we are talking about like a lot of these films are interesting, and you're kind of seeing the directors working at their like like highest form, right? Like we've talked about yeah. the Coen Brothers, talked about PTA, um, and here Del Toro. I mean, I I think he's such a good director anyway. And Shape of Water was fine for like I really liked it, but like maybe I didn't like it as much as the world was loving it when it first came out. I was like, it's great, but I don't get the like sort of like give it all the awards kind of great i didn't see it as that but um it was a bit yeah, like a legacy not... win do you know what i mean yeah, like, kind yeah of, like, we true, kind yeah. of we feel like we should have given you an oscar like um uh, uh what's his face for Center of a woman where it's like yeah al pacino yeah yeah al pacino for Center of a woman where it's kind of like you should have probably won by now but we're going to give this to you anyway because we need to give it to you for yeah. something <laughs> yeah, <true. laughs> yeah um but talking about films that have got better with age Number eight is Get Out, uh, that I think has only got better with age. I think this is great placement for it. I don't know, maybe even I'd maybe even put it a little bit higher. I think the impact this has had on the horror genre has uh, been astronomical. Uh, it's in a, in a genre where, when it came out in 2017, it was rare, I think, for me personally to get excited about any horror film coming out. They just, they all felt yeah. stale. It was either a slasher or it was a jump scare type thing. For this to come out and just like not only be phenomenally well made, not only be absolutely terrifying and be inventive and have incredible sort of uh, political discourse talking about um, uh, sort of a new wave of racism in America. I just, yeah. It's just such an entertaining film. It it's really like you is. never know where it's going. You never know where it's going. A, sim a simple thing of like when Daniel Clue is looking out the window and he's got um, uh, that uh, the older, I think it's the older guy running at him. Something as simple yes. as that. It's just like, where what is going to happen? I have no idea what's going to happen. It's absolutely white knuckle. It's so tense. Um, what did it win for? Uh, original screenplay, I think. It was, so, yeah, yeah. It was Nominated for a bunch of stuff, but I think screenplay is easily uh, uh, deserving. I think it could want for a lot of other stuff as well. But yeah, as I say, I think it is had ripples throughout its genre and just the wider landscape of cinema. Yeah, well, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because one of the first things we wrote on, well, I wrote on the uh, website was seven films likely to define the decade. And I think... While I think, I mean, it was a pretty easy pick for all of them, really. But I think Get Out is the one that should, is going to have the biggest impact uh, sort of on cinema. And yeah. basically ushering in a new era of horror films, I think, uh, it's brilliant, isn't it? It's just brilliant. And Jordan, <laughs> it, overnight, it made Jordan Peele one of the most um, sort of like acclaimed directors uh, working today. Uh, yeah, it's brilliant. And, uh, um yeah, I think placement to me actually is could be spot on there. I know yeah. you say maybe higher, but I think sort of around that top ten, uh, like maybe uh, maybe it doesn't quite crack the like top five. I don't know. Yeah, but top ten certainly. I think um, no, it's oh, a great, great film, and yeah, I I don't know if sort of I know we we often sort of like pile sort of Jordan Peele, Ari Aster, and uh, Robert Eggers into this new 
new horror sort of style. But I do think they all have individual voices, and I think Peels is one of, if not the strongest out of the three. I was going to say the same thing. I think they're all fantastic directors. I get the comparison between them because they're kind of like taking horror in a new direction. Yeah. But I, I think Peel will have a, a longer and more important lasting impact on the industry and, you know, the film industry. And that's not to say that the others aren't having their impacts in their own way. I mean, Hereditary and Midsummer have been such influences in, in new ways as directors too. But I just, I think in terms of outside of just being an entertaining film, I think Get Out and well, just all of Peel's films have such a wonderful commentary and have engaged in such interesting discourse. He's also really funny. It's so good. It's, it's so, so funny. funny. It's so entertaining. It's, not, it's like not only is it like one of the best horror films of this of the century. It's also one of the best comedies. <laughs> I think. Do you know what? When I watched Us, I I always said that Us was a little bit of a step down. Not not that it's a bad film. I think I realised that's what I missed in Us is that Us doesn't yeah. really have any comedy in it. it it doesn't have the same quite sort of like entertainment factor that get out has and that's not to say that these films have to have that i think it's just one of the reasons that it makes get out so good yes yeah yeah it's very true i think um yeah it, i think for me it's the whole thing of you can just uh, at the end of the day jordan peele has made a name for himself outside before directing as a comedian as like a comedy actor and I think his, you can just, he's always got a sense of humor with whatever he's doing. And I think the balance Absolutely. is just so well played, uh, yeah. especially in Get Out. And you're right, in Us, it, it is missing. Uh, I do think it's a step down, but not, it's still not, it's still an okay film. It's good. Um, good. But Get Out, it's n like nowhere near the sort of <laughs> going to have the impact that Get Out has had. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, number seven, and I think this <laughs> we said we said this list was sort of um, half. Well, I don't know if it's half and half, or you know, if if it's all just um, Empire fans who have voted. But the popular vote, number seven, Avengers: Infinity War. Um, yeah. In my opinion, I think this is the best MCU film. It's I think it is the best. Um, I mean, this is just before the MCU just got stale i mean this was the big ending that they were building towards infinity war endgame and i know that you have the thing of sort of like part one part two of that side of infinity war like you're just like excited to watch the next bit but i do while i've been super critical of the part one part two thing in the past and said it's one of my biggest grievances i still think with stuff like infinity war things like dune i think if you end and lord of the rings and obviously because that sort of like telling the larger story i think if you take a film as long as you take the film at sort of face value and you say from finish to end of this singular film i've really enjoyed this i can sort of i'm sort of okay with that but um like this didn't feel half baked because obviously it's so large this film and i think that kind of balance of humor and sort of character styles that they had with the first avengers I think they've had to amplify it in this one, and I think that's why it's the best one. Uh, I think everything works; every character dynamic works. Uh, is it this? Is it number seven? No, no, <laughs> absolutely not. But I, I do understand why fans, because uh, obviously, it's, I mean, it's Marvel. People are gonna obviously be like, "This is the best film of all time," um, and I do understand why it's Infinity War. 
I think one of the reasons why people would put this so high, especially over stuff like Endgame as well, is I think people appreciated the boldness of what the snap did. Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, for me personally, that's one of the reasons I wouldn't put it so high because it all just gets undone. And then I yeah, think true, yeah. the boldness then comes in what happens in Endgame. And I, I mean, I have my reservations about part one of multiple stories especially like this i'm not going to get into that too much because i've said it before but like for me it's mostly just the you need the second film to get some sort of payoff uh whereas yeah yeah. in the comparison to what you say before dune i think has arcs and has conclusions that you can come to but it's just like the next part of the story whereas i think infinity yeah. War, you have to watch endgame you can't just watch infinity yeah. war and be like well that i'm satisfied with that whereas with dune it's like you could be satisfied with that you want to see what happens next yeah but that's just true. me personally it's way too high on this list i get why oh, it's there 100 percent. and you know we were talking yeah. about the impact get out has had on the film industry obviously infinity war and endgame the impact they have it's i think one of the reasons you could include infinity war in this is uh, an end game just them as a as a pair of films is how impressive the culmination of the mcu was to get to this point and how much of yeah, like definitely. never happened in the industry before and how impressive that is how well that works you know every character gets time on screen and you don't feel like anyone doesn't get the time they deserve um, yeah, I think that's that's an impressive feat in and of itself. Being able to balance all of these moving parts, make a coherent story that feels like everyone is getting their time, I think is incredibly yeah. impressive. Yeah, I think um, for me, I think sort of, I think the Russos fit the MCU mold, but they're like the perfect directors for it because. I mean, I don't know if you've seen what's it called, the Ryan Gosling action film with Grey uh, Man. The Grey Man. I don't know if you've seen that, but it's fucking boring, dull <laughs> shit. Yeah. I think the Russos are. It sounds harsh, but I just find them to be a little bit flav- flavorless. But because there is a mold of MCU already, I think that's why they fit into it, and they've done a really good job with Infinity War, Endgame, and stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're reviewing the list, and number seven is just ridiculous. Uh, there's so, it's so annoying as well because when we're obviously like after we finish this, we're gonna go through the ones that are like are misplaced. <laughs> there's some films that are like Honestly. in the nineties, and you're like, how the fuck <laughs> are they there? And Infinity War is seventh. It's just mental to me. Incredible. That being said, though, number six, The Social Network, Aaron Sorkin's 2010 biopic about mark zuckerberg and the creation of facebook uh funny enough i actually saw a video of mark zuckerberg criticizing this film the other day i have actually i was just about to say the exact same thing (laughs) is that the one where he's talking about like oh well i didn't have this girlfriend at the time and i was like yeah it's a a film that doesn't portray you in a good light i'm not going to trust what you say about it to be honest but yeah yeah i don't said that basically he said that weirdly they got all the clothes right like that every jumper and (laughs) t-shirt was something he (laughs) actually owned at some point (laughs) i thought that was so funny um sorry i i I meant to say aaron sorkin wrote david fincher directed um yes obviously uh because i don't think sorkin had had sorkin directed a film by 2010 he has now uh no, what he was had his first. No. Was it was his first the trial of Chicago Seven? No, was it Steve Jobs? 
Oh, maybe it was Steve. Anyway, no, no, no. He wrote he wrote Steve Jobs. Uh, I think it might have been Molly's game. Oh, I think you're right. Anyway, I may be wrong there though. I remember, and this isn't me trying to like uh, uh, call you out or anything. I remember when we first met, you didn't like Social Network all that much. I didn't. No, no, I didn't. And you had to rewatch it. And it's funny actually because I'm sure I've said that before as well. Where sometimes you just watch a film at the wrong time, you're in the wrong mindset. And you rewatch it and you appreciate it later because I I remember talking to you about it. We I think we appreciated each other's film's opinion at the time, and I think you gave it two or three stars. And I was like, Am I overhyping this film? Do I not? Am I am I like seeing too much in here? And like and then and then I remember you rewatching and giving it a five, and I was like, Oh, I, at least I like yeah. so I know loads of people did because you know it was a critical like hit. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think so. What it was was because I watched it in the cinema in 2010, and I didn't, I wasn't still me. Didn't really appreciate films. Didn't rarely. I think I went on like a. Uh, I just think I went on like a group of mates to watch the film about Facebook, and I just thought I was like, I don't care about any of this. Yeah. It's like Facebook, it's all that. And then when obviously you rewatched it, you're like, oh my god, <laughs> the marriage yeah. of fin- Finch's direction and Sorkin's writing. And the stuff they do with him as a character, with as Zuckerberg as a film character, it's just fucking phenomenal. I uh, think it's every outstanding, yeah. And every like, and it's not just about like every di- every line of dialogue just has this like punch, but just like I think the way each scene is sort of like put together and stuff is just phenomenal. It's so good. It's one of those things where I find like Jesse Eisenberg, uh, whether he or the people he's worked with, I've tried to recapture him being able to do this snappy dialogue it just yeah. doesn't they've never no one's ever been able to recapture the magic and i think part of that is because it's it's sorkin it's fincher and it's eisenberg before you knew who he really was he'd like to this like this obviously i think pretty much catapulted him into the stratosphere i think it's probably yeah. i wouldn't be surprised if this was one of the reasons that he got the role of lex luther in Mm. Was it Batman v Superman? Whichever one, whichever one of those DC. Yeah, whatever. Was. It was sh- and whatever it was, it was shit. But... Yeah, which was a shit one. <laughs> but it, I feel like they've never been able to recapture the same magic, and I think that's it. It does not necessarily um, uh, Eisenberg's fault. I just think it's the marriage of a Sorkin script with Fincher's direction just makes for such a powerhouse duo. Such like yeah, that's like that's a cr- in retrospect, it's crazy that those two came together in the way they did. Like it like two people that their careers just never seemed to intertwine but came up from relatively similar times. Um, yeah. and relatively similar sort of like, I don't know, career paths, I guess. It's just really fun like I can't remember the last time you go, Oh my god, this director and this writer got together. How cool is that? You don't really yeah. have that cool the thing only one, anymore. The only one that crops them to my mind is Spike Jones and Charlie Kaufman. With adaptation, yeah, yeah that's a, yeah. I know yeah, that... but that's way before this, wasn't it? Adaptation was yeah, way before it. Yeah, it was like two was it? I think, I think oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I'm yeah. not sure. Some but um, yeah, I mean, it's a great film, isn't it? This this is this is a great film, and I think it, I, in terms of placement, I'd probably just agree with that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, it's probably going to be in that. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Um, well, I mean, it was on our uh, <laughs> best of the 2010s, wasn't it? Um, for a well, reason. For a very good reason. Yeah. Um, I'd be interested to know if it... Because uh, I, I don't actually know if it's cracked my top 100 of all time. But maybe... It's on my short list. 
It's on my yeah, short definitely. list, but again, I need to figure out if it's um, in my top 100 as well. Yeah. Do you think this is Fincher's best film? I think it's close. I really like Zodiac. I don't... Oh, Zodiac. I, re- yeah. I rewatched Zodiac last year, I think it was, for the first time in a long time. And I think... I think because I think people talk about older Fincher films. And I, I don't know. I think there was a period in those late noughties that I think Fincher really hit his stride in a way that I think... I don't yes. know. I, yeah. I just think Zodiac's really fun as well. I don't know. It, yeah. It's a toss-up. It's a toss-up. But uh, I think it's easily in the conversation. Yeah, space. well, I mean, I mean, just uh, sort of for interest, the Zodiac was number thirty-four on this list. Oh, is it? Oh. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's still pretty high. So, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I know we've spoken about this at length about like how Bike Club is kind of like a sixteen-year-old's like yeah. best movie ever made, and probably haven't like expanded that much. I still do think Seven is one of the best sort of like crime thrillers of all time. I still do agree yeah. with that. Um, but yeah, Social Network could be in the running for for his best film, I think. Um, yeah, so next we have at number five, um, Moonlight from 2016. Um, special film. What a fucking special year. We've t- spoken about this so many times. 2016 um, is so good. It's so good. Yeah, I mean, we're, I mean you, kind of like... you could fill the top five of the 2000, the 21st century. You could put five films in 2016. I wouldn't bat an eye. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we, we've obviously <laughs> spoken about this so many times, haven't we? How, like, I, I think actually we've spoken about Moonlight the least because we were so, became so, like, attached to La La Land. I, and then we both were Manchester by the Sea, and you more so than me, your rival, but still, yeah, fantastic. <laughs> there you go. Those you kind of films, it's just like Hello High Water we came out as well. Oh, it's such a good film, that is. Oh, um, it's so yeah, good. Um, actually, do you know what? Looking at the camera, looking at us in the camera, I'm kind of looking like Ben Foster's character in Hello High Water, I think. A little bit. <laughs> You're a little bit, yeah, yeah. Um, start shooting out the police in a minute, <laughs> but no, Moonlight is such a gentle and important film um i think it's brilliant uh barry jenkins is a fucking fantastic director um special and this yeah and i like i said i think we actually in terms of 2016 probably didn't talk about this film as much because we were talking about other films and obviously this was the best picture winner um and i think the takeaway is that this has also become one of the more important films of the 21st century um yeah it's so gentle just like visually it's stunning as well uh mahershala ali is brilliant i mean half an hour he's in this film and he's just phenomenal um but everyone's great in it but him in particular but yeah such a fantastic film and maybe i wouldn't put it at five but i mean it'd be up there I, I think there. I think it'd be close there for me personally. I, I think yeah, when it first yeah. came out, I think you said I think you used the term of that it's more like a cinematic experience at a film. Yes, because yeah, the way yeah. it's structured, it feels like that, and I think that's so accurate and has stood the test of time because of that, because of its uniqueness, because of its importance yeah. of the story. I think having something like like this, where it's a film about race and it's a film about homosexuality, uh, and in a lot of ways, coming of age. I think these sorts of things would normally make for an indie film that people say deserves more attention. I think yeah. that's one of the reasons why that highlights how special this film really is, that it garnered mainstream attention, where other films like this would normally be 
a, like sort of a underground or more indie film that wouldn't have yeah. garnered the same sort of like. But I, I, I think that just goes to show how special a film it is. And I haven't rewatched it in a while. Seeing it on this list has made me want to rewatch it because I think it it's such an interesting way to structure a film too. Um, it's yeah. just unbelievable. But yeah, as you say, Barry Jenkins is a wonderful director and I don't know if people talk about if Bill Street can talk enough either. I think, uh, I think that's it was great a, as well. So it was really it's good. not on this list. No. Which I no. think is so sad. Not to rag on MCU, but this thing's like Captain America Civil War over if Bill Street can talk. Like, yeah, that's just... I don't know. It's just, that just makes me sad. But again, I'm it's... Gonna, I'm not going to lie. I think we could make a list of about 300 or 400 films that <laughs> probably deserve to be on this list over fucking Captain America Civil War. Yeah, but, you know... We'd, we'd make I like. I, I even like Captain America: Civil War relatively, but not in the top 100 of the 21st <laughs> century. Come on. I th- j- j- the um, only top 100 I think I could probably put it in is top 100 MCU films. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, no, that's probably. Yeah. But anyway, let's move on uh, to top, top 100 Chris Evans films. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it might make it. Maybe. Yeah, uh, no, I think it make the cut. <laughs> be on my shortlist maybe uh another <laughs> film from 2010 inception nolan's sort of like um uh non dc uh blockbuster hit um number four i mean i like this film a lot yeah. we spoke a lot about it in the nolan um uh the tournament it's not the fourth best film of the 21st century I- I yeah. like it a lot, though, and I think it's great. And, like, one of the things that we said when we did the tournament was how it manages to be intelligent, uh, inventive, almost like an art house film, but also a blockbuster at the same time. I think the way yeah. Nolan balances those is one of the reasons why he's such a good director, that he makes commercially viable and incredibly successful films, but also manages to keep true to his almost art house in a way ruse not saying that inception is an art house film but you can see the inspiration from his roots i think there yeah i mean we yeah we have spoken about inception at length and i yeah i kind of just it's not number four really for me (laughs) but um yeah i mean it'd be in the conversation of uh, sort of like a maybe top like 50 but um and I think I I also do think I like I said, I won't talk too much because we obviously did the whole Nolan podcast and I'm sick of talking about Nolan now. <laughs> um, Inception is sort of it's kind of half overrated, but then I think it gets because it's then had to like slight overratedness by people who are just like fucking obsessed with it. It then gets that slight underratedness from people yeah. who like love to hate it a little bit. When you just you yeah. can meet in the middle and just say it's a fucking phenomenally put together film. It's a highly original blockbuster. We just we don't really see that much anymore, um, and it, it is great. But uh, no, it's not number four. <laughs> no, but you know, um, yeah. Uh, okay, getting to the business end. <laughs> well, I think we, we started at the business end, I suppose, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, number three, Nolan again, uh, The Dark Knight from 2008. Um, I don't think it's any surprise that this is here, um, considering, what is it, like number two or number three as well on the IMDb Top 250. I mean, it's a popular no, choice for everyone. No, I think it's dropped now. I think it's, I think it's oh, it dropped now. 
but for a while oh, wow. it was top five um but yeah i mean people love it. It, it it's one of those that's very much like again same sort of the thing of inception that it's just a, an incredibly well-made film but so universally accessible uh yeah interestingly i'm just reading here on the empire it said nolan's film reflects an american america struggling to come to terms with the trauma of 9-11 so do you get that oh. on the film i've never seen that from the film oh uh, no, never really depicting the joker as an urban terrorist whose motivation is solely to spread fear and dissent among the inhabitants of gotham i haven't seen that personally and i've never heard anyone make that mm. uh conclusion before maybe i just need to rewatch it and see if i see that in the film um yeah i feel like I've... i don't need to rewatch it though i feel like i've rewatched yeah. it for the pod for the True, yeah. tournament so uh, maybe i'll rewatch it in like five years i feel like you could say that about any film post 9-11 that has an urban terrorist in it yeah someone who who like destroys a building to... yeah i'm not i'm not sure i personally see that because no i, I feel like see that. i feel like com- saying the joker is similar to uh terrorist groups that attacked america is the, the weird thing to say they had a very specific goal in mind they had a very specific intention that's kind of yeah. the opposite of what joker's about isn't it that his thing is just yeah. chaos like he wants sure you can, i guess you can make comparisons about spreading fear but there's very very real political implications that a lot of that stuff was going for we could get into uh, that's a discussion for another time i think i hadn't i didn't read just uh, i would uh, yeah it was just surprised me really but yeah, yeah i don't is, think uh, um i think again i wouldn't put this at three i know three, it's no. the choice um i, I understand I why though i get it oh yeah fully 100 percent. yeah yeah but three's absolutely but you know what isn't too high though Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah. Two, let's go, baby. Let's go. Ah, uh, uh, we love Lord of the Rings here, don't we? Um, we do. Interestingly, we st- isn't it? Interesting that. Uh, so, I mean, technically on the list, it's the Fellowship of the Ring that's number two. Yes. But then there's um, two towers. Is it fifty-three? And Return of the King is at forty-three. And I think purely that is because everyone just sees they these as like one ginormous film and you go to is just to put fellowship of the ring i down. think so too i think <laughs> so too yeah uh i think it's not the best lord of the rings film but i think you're 100 percent right that the reason you put it on there is because yeah it's almost like you're, you just, you're picking the, the whole trilogy but um you just sort of you can only put one film i guess yeah despite you being able to put it's a list of 100 films put all three lord of the rings come on now but no yeah. uh i'm obviously incredibly happy this is on there I, I think it could have been put at number one and i like i there's other films i could say that were number one you could put a number one and i wouldn't bat an eye uh it's yeah you know the best in my opinion probably the best trilogy ever made most well-rounded trilogy ever made i uh, think it is the best trilogy ever made yeah uh it is argument, really it is a wonder of a cinematic experience Absolutely. just c- conceiving that this was made and the success it's had and the universal like like return of the king being tied most for the most oscars ever makes sense to me yeah it does feel like it does feel like return of the king kind of got oscars for all three films I think it's got, like, you're just gonna 
and that's fine i don't i don't mind things like that to be honest um yeah i just think universe th this is like peak universal critical commercial success this is about as yeah. good as it gets in terms of making uh i think what the official term would be a fuckload of money uh, and also being just a phenomenally well-made film this is peak fantasy is peak cinema i think it's yeah you know. that's absolutely we, we that's could... absolutely right it's on like yeah, peak, but... it's peak fantasy peak cinema just, you can't ask for anything more than what uh, lord of the rings delivers no absolutely not and i'm going to rewatch it next weekend and i'm <laughs> looking for it very much i feel like i've not rewatched it in a while i used to do it try and do it on like near my birthday and not for any reason it's just so it seems to be the re the way at the time yeah. i watch it but i haven't watched it in a while yeah. um yeah i feel like uh that needs to be done soon um yeah but i'm looking for yeah in, out of interest because i have a thing with if you take all three as separate films i have a thing yeah i like watching them for different reasons so yeah, I, my favorite, I my favorite is Two Towers, but then well, Helm's Deep is one I, of the best battles ever put. I mean, literally, yeah. That, and then, but then the Fellowship is like the first one, and you're like getting settled, setting on the journey with them. So I quite like that. And then the Return, I mean, Return of the King is just so epic, isn't it? By the end, that it's just impossible not to love that. Um, I like them all for, well, they're all Lord of the Rings, so I like them all for the same reason. But at the same time, like, <laughs> no, I know what you mean. I know what you mean because. Yeah. Fellowship has that thing of like the wonder, doesn't it? Like, like yes, yeah, the 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 innocence, the wonder, and sort of leaving that to become come to the big bad world, and then the sort of like the dark and darkness of two towers and the like. I I've always kind of said Return of King's my favorite, but that's because of my sequel or like my prequel, not mm. prequel, uh, yeah, my, my like half film thing about how I like conclusions yeah yeah stories. you will always you will um, always go for the conclusion won't you i like yeah i like the wrapped upness and i know i know there's criticism of return of the king of having too many endings but when you make a film yeah. with this many characters and <laughs> you know this many arcs you need to wrap up i think you need that many endings because you need it, it is a film i think that deserves to have every bow tied you don't i don't think yeah. every film has to have every bow tied you know and every every string every what do the what do they say you know tying up all loose ends yeah i don't think every film needs that i think lord of the rings does though because yeah, you definitely. don't feel you feel like you've had that story that arc that it all encapsulated in this one time frame um, absolutely yeah but anyway we could talk about lord of the rings forever so why don't I mean, we move also also one just thing about what you just said about the ending like having too many endings if you take this as like a 12 hour film you you're expecting the ending to be at least two hours of that. So well, yeah, if anything, yeah. <laughs> yeah. anything it's not, not long enough. Ending. Yeah, we need more. <laughs> to be fair, I mean, you've read the books, haven't you, about how the scouring of the Shire? I've I know that there's a lot of contention with uh, Tolkien fans about not including the scouring of the Shire in the films. I think it's probably a good idea they didn't. I do think that would have made the ending too long. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that's great. I mean, it's nice to see because they filmed some of it. I don't know if you know, this is just a random bit of Lord of the Rings trivia. You know when Frodo looks into the mirror that Galadriel has and yeah. he sees the Shire burning? That was the stuff yeah. they shot for the scouring of the Shire before they decided to cut it. Oh, right. So that was going to be yeah. in, that was going to be like Sam being tied up and, and stuff like that. There was And the house is burning. That was all going to be the scouring of the Shire, but they didn't finish it. 
and decided to put it there oh. instead. Which is quite nice. It's a nice little nod to it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, we finally reached number one, sitting pretty. That I Basically, how this list is set out and they've put Lord of the Rings at number one and then this other film, I thought Lord of the Rings was just the end, so I didn't actually know this was on here. Uh, but number one is Mad Max Fury Road, directed by George Miller from 2015. Uh, one of the best action films ever made, I think. Um, yes. I, weirdly, so this list is from 2020. I feel like for a, like quite a few years after Mad Max, like people still love Mad Max, don't get me wrong, I think everyone's in agreement that it's probably, if not the best film from 2015. Um, although I think Argument as well as Spotlight was pretty fucking great. Um, but... Yes, um, but yeah, yeah, I just I, I'm surprised that I'm surprised Mad Max is number one here. But I, I was going to say I, I don't have a problem. All the money. No, I was going to say only the, the money in the world. I would never have bet that this would be number one. But no, like you said, I, would, I don't have a problem with that. I no, no, not at all. It'd I, be, I mean, it'd be top I'm, five for me, a thousand percent probably. Yeah, ten. I, I just I'm a little bit confused how this came around. But excuse me, we spoke a lot about films that um sort of found that happy middle ground between commercial and critical success and i think this is yeah. another one that did obviously but it's not one that i think people would like the critics think i don't think the critics would think this is the best of the decade and i didn't oh, best of the yeah best of the uh, the um uh 21st century and I didn't think audiences did too, but obviously we're wrong because it is number one. But it's just not yeah, the I one mean, that I thought most would come out on Koreans on. I thought it would be something else, like social know, pretty much or something. Yeah, well, if I'm honest, from a fan perspective, I thought Dark Knight would be at the first. Yeah, well, that, yeah. Um, but I, because to be honest, I remember it coming out and I, I, I was like, that was fucking amazing. And then it got all its critical success. But never to the point where I thought people like critics and everything were saying that it is one of the best films of all time. But like saying it was just fucking phenomenal for the year. And then me and you being like, that's one of the best action films of all time. And I always thought we've held, we've had a lot of like, we've held a lot of like uh, strong opinions about Mad Max. Whereas I didn't think anyone else did. So I was quite surprised that it was number one. Like, I think people love it, but I didn't think it loved it that much. Yeah. <laughs> I was yeah, quite surprised I to see it there, really. Yeah. No, I'm, I totally no agree. Problem, though. Um, I still hold the opinion there's like four uh, action films in my head that are just like four, the four best, which is Mad Max, Die Hard. Doom, uh, King Arthur. <laughs> um, yeah. And then um, the, uh, the Raid and yep. Hard Boiled as well. But I haven't seen Hard Boiled yeah. in a long time, so maybe that's something to rewatch. But yeah, yeah Mad I Max, think... number one. Interesting. Could you put Heat in there too? I, would, I yeah, just I think have to think would, yeah. Is it a straight up action film though? Do you think it has a phenomenal yeah, action? I never. In it, I mean, but... I never saw it as a, I saw it more as like a crime thriller, also than like so a, a straight up action. But like straight up action, those four are the ones I jumped to. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, definitely. No, it's it's just interesting because I like, I think we used to say Old Boy as well, but Old Boy more just has one phenomenal action yeah, sequence yeah. rather than being an action film. But anyway, yeah, absolutely. That's that list. What else on here do you think? Uh, would you shuffle any of this around? I think is yes. is the best way of putting it. Uh, <laughs> yes, uh, I think the, the question should probably should be. I think I should have said, "What would you shuffle around rather than, uh, uh, you know, if you would shuffle anything around?" 
What, what do well, you think what is I'm, the most um, egregious things on the list? I, I know what I think my most egregious thing on the list is. Well, I think we can we can agree on one. That I, is it going to be in the mood um, for love? Yes. Um, yeah, being 91. Yeah, that's like, ridiculous. <laughs> that's top five, if not top three. Like, oh, I can't believe the films that were put over the top of this. It makes me mad. It makes yeah, me so it's mad. crazy. Like, um, go on. Yeah, I, I mean, we've... We, I know how much we think this is arguably one of like literally top five films ever made. So, yeah, um, yeah I don't know how you can put it in number one. But again, it, maybe you can make the argument that if it's like a fan list that people may not have seen it, they just might not <laughs> have seen it. If it's like a like mainstream sort of, um, I mean, it's a it, mainstream by like international cinema standards. But yeah. maybe like a ma- mainstream audience wouldn't like wouldn't go out of their way to watch this. But I, uh, yeah. So to me, ninety one is ridiculous. It needs to be like top three. I, I tell you, that's um, the reason. I mean, that's okay. It's okay that it's not. It, it's a Chinese film from two thousand. It's not exactly going to be yeah. like mainstream with UK or just Western audiences in general. It's just a thing yeah. that's so low on the list. Considering, for example, Captain America: Winter Soldier at fifty five. Come on, yeah. like, which come on. is great, but fifty-five. <laughs> I think it's great. It's one of the best MCU films. Uh, although I'm looking at Paddington two at fifty-one. Now oh, yeah. you bump that up to number one, and I think I think <laughs> the conversation here. I love Paddington two so much. It's such a great film. Um, Mine is more like because uh, there's a lot of films that I feel like you could chop and change. Whether I mean, in the mid floor is that's a massive one that needs to be. Uh, way higher but more more ones that probably just shouldn't be on the list at all for me wonder woman at 33 is it 33 is so high i didn't think people don't like that film do they where did this come from it doesn't have a high rating on anything it's like it's like a three round and that's fine it's a three star to me wonder woman wonder woman is like an important film by superhero genre um like levels because uh, you know it's directed by patty jenkins directed by a woman it's about a female superhero and I think it's the first time that a lot of people were able to sort of like see that as in like more mainstream success in comparison to what all the others we've seen. Yeah. But it doesn't mean like there's that fucking great scene where she goes across no man's land, which That's is great. is is amazing. Uh, but but it's still just like a hot mess of CGI crap a lot of and that ending fight it. scene at the airport it's so shit. It's so bad. It's so bad. Here's but, another um, one for you that I think doesn't deserve to be yeah. missed at all. Number 48, The Force Awakens. Yeah, again, what? that's a thing that we've what? just... Have we just at, least it, at least it's not the fucking Last Jedi. <laughs> no, no, sorry, oh. not The Last Jedi. What's the, what's the third one called? Uh, Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, imagine if that was that. Fucking sucks. <laughs> that film fucking sucks. I would, again, I would put Last Jedi on this list, potentially... Of a hundred, mm. I think I think it could be there. Force Awakens is fine, but it ain't that good. Like, come on, like forty eight is so high as well for a film like, especially like yeah. three paces up is Blade Runner twenty forty nine, and then forty four is Roma, forty three is yeah, Return yeah, I mean, of the King. Like you're saying that it's it's just a little bit better, a little bit worse than twenty forty nine, Roma, and Return of the King. Yeah, all Trump films that should be in the top ten. All films <laughs> well, are apparently worse probably. than uh, Wonder Woman as well. I think another one for me, and again, I know why it's there, is Joker at 39. 
Yeah. I just, I don't, uh, I get, I, I do understand why it's there, but like, I'm just like, I don't mind Joker, but yeah, it's not the 39th. And again, I know why it's here and maybe I'm, well, maybe we are like in the, um, maybe a lot of people would disagree with us here, but up at 40 is quite high for me. Yeah. To me, up is, is a really, like everything past the 10 minutes, the first 10 minutes is kind of just mid. (laughs) Yeah. No, I agree. I think there's only one other thing on here that surprised me a little bit, which was Gladiator being in like, I think it's a 24, 23, 24 around there. And I like Gladiator a lot, but I thought people liked it a lot more. Like it's obviously one best picture. And a lot of people like casual audiences say about it's 22 casual audiences i think a lot of people would put this as in their top films of all time which i think is completely understandable it's super accessible and it's a really really fun and very well made uh what i call it sword and sandals uh action yeah. film and i mean it, it, it just yeah. it's all the right beats doesn't it and it has a phenomenal score i just thought 22 even me personally i might potentially put it higher than 22 i don't know i think yes I think it's a really. I good think film, I, I would have but... thought maybe. I mean, I know twenty two is high, but um, I would have thought high, quite high from like a popular audience sort of uh, yeah uh, point of view. Um, I think uh, to be honest, there's loads on here. Things like <laughs> um, like right at the top with uh, sorry, right <laughs> at the bottom with like let the right one in at ninety nine. When you compare what's on like we we're just talking about like Force Awakens. Yeah, like whatever it is, and then you go like further up, and there's things like um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon as well. Uh, it's quite, it's quite low. Um, Coco is eighty four. That's brutal. Um, yeah, it is brutal considering how much we basically put on the same level as well. We put it on the same level as Inside Out. So yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. really. Um... It makes it just makes me a bit sad thing because like Hot Fuzz is sixty seven. Yeah, I, like I do. Fuzz. I do love Hot Fuzz, but I don't know if I'd put. It, and then like a lot of films, ba- I would put over that. Baby Drivers, like what eighty something? Yeah, eighty. Little Miss. I just saw it. Sorry, go on. Little Miss Sunshine is like seventy nine. Oof, that's so low. That's yeah, so it's such a good Stuff film. Like that. Baby Drivers ninety two. I I personally wouldn't have put the ninety three is Phantom Thread. And like I know, I know you're not the biggest Phantom Thread fan, but putting well, well, them next to each it, other is insane. Yeah, I would put that. And like it, it's things. I feel like there's loads to pull out, really. I mean, I mean, yeah, yeah. like I said, this is done. This the whole list is done off the basis of like a lot of people's opinions. So you are just taking the general uh, sort of like average <laughs> opinion. Yeah. Um, but there's always going to be things to disagree with. All in all, I mean, it's not like I don't think there's anything actively bad on the list i may um, maybe i haven't looked that thoroughly but um yeah i think there's just uh, some questionable but when we do our top 20 we'll make sure it's correct the correct we'll make sure it's better yeah we'll make sure it's better i understand i understand uh it's an audience like a general audience and critics there's always going to be like like guardians of galaxies in the in like 95 or 96 or something like that yeah these these like i understand that this isn't going to be our sort of fucking film nerd list of stuff. There's just quite a lot of surprising things in there. Um, yeah. One last though. thing, because I've forgotten about this film, if I'm honest, talking about 2014 earlier with Boyhood. Oh, yeah. 
I completely forgot about Boyhood. I don't think anyone talks about it anymore. I remember um, anything about it. I watched it once and I, I don't remember anything do you not, about it. Because I remember at the time everyone was going crazy over it, saying it was like an absolute like cinematic achievement because of the way he made the film over like 12 yeah. years, whatever. And I was like, but outside of that, is it really doing that much different <laughs> than a lot? Of it? It's a very, good, it's a good film. Knowing you're wrong, but people were fucking raving about it. And I was like, I don't get it. I was like, I, I felt like, like I was, I felt like I was gonna say, I felt like I was in the minority by saying that. That outside of that, it's a bit of a gimmicky film. That it has yeah. this gimmick of being like it's filmed over ten years or however long it is. Like. Yeah. I I don't know. I just I was like, if you take that, if you if it if that isn't true about it, if it's just a completely scripted film that wasn't filmed over ten years, yeah. no one will be talking about it in the way they talk about it. It's still a great no, film, no, but not. it's like, yeah, it's got a gimmick that it makes people like. I can't think of anything. Maybe something like this is a bit harsh to nineteen seventeen, but nineteen seventeen is a little bit of the same. Where I yeah, don't think yeah. people would be talking about it quite as much as if if it didn't do the sort of like faux one shot, but. Yeah, That's and there's probably, I mean, there's an argument to say that, you know, anything sort of faux one-shot is a bit like that, but but yeah, yeah. I do think, yeah, but like, just saying it was like, Boyhood was like number 29 on the list, and uh, before, uh, like, so is there anything, obviously, because this the list was made in 2020, is there anything yes. close to this list? Because one big one that I noticed isn't on here, which I always thought was a 2019 film, but maybe it was just Empire hadn't watched it, uh, Parasite's not there. Yeah, I think yes, yeah, the 2019 film. I guess they. I think it came out in 2020 here in the UK. So yeah. I don't think and it they could have been. Out. They could have been doing the votes like before Parasite had come yeah. out here. So yeah, yeah, that's fair. There's quite a few films I would put on the list. No, so there's I there's not too many I would put on the list that I think they missed that they actively missed. I think Parasite's the yeah. big one. Aside from that, I don't think there's any glaring holes in in there the only one i would say pre 2020 so one that could have been on this list black swan isn't on there oh yeah i think that's probably that's the only one that i've i've picked up on there um that's i mean i'm sure there are films that i've just i mean it's a quite a there's a lot of films to look at so i'll probably yeah but that was one that stuck out but didn't see black swan on there maybe i'm wrong maybe i'm just not looking at it properly but i didn't see it on there Um, no i didn't see one i would would definitely deserve to be there Yes. Aside from that, I think so. We obviously had our contentions about certain films being on there. Do you think there's anything post twenty twenty that deserves to be on this list? Because I have a few. Yeah. I, think I could throw in there. I, I, I feel like if I was, there's one really was obvious go, one for me personally, but well, but yeah, Parasite was the first one because I know it's a weird timing, isn't it? But then like yeah, twenty twenty one or twenty twenty, I think Minari would have to be there. Minari, no Minari's like yeah. Yeah, I do. You haven't um, said the obvious one yet, though. At least obvious to me. And then, sort of like everything, everywhere, all at once, would definitely. That's like the one. Thousand That's the one. Have to be there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think and Barbie I deserves say, um, to be on there too. Oh yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, easily. Um, I would probably say. Uh, I mean, the top one hundred. So I think something like Power of the Dog or like. Yep. Easily. Um, yeah. Drive my car. Um. I was going to say the, the same thing. Driving in the world. So good. Yeah, worst person in the world. The worst show. person in the world. I think should be potentially. On there. I think something potentially is a little bit slept on. Judas and the Black Messiah. Yeah, I think that's a yeah, great yeah. film that could go on yeah. there. Um, the Banshees well, of Inisherin. Yeah, the yeah, great. Banshees of Inisherin. Um, 
There's been uh, so many good films, I think, over the past like sort of three years that they would definitely be in there. Get rid of fucking Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, so we get rid of fucking Star Wars and put either of Mangrove or Lovers Rock in there as well. I know they're yeah. technically TV Absolutely. films, but fuck the logic. I don't care. Phenomenal well, I know, films. I know, for, I know for a fact we'd put Possessor in there. Yes, Possessor too. We would. I think um, I don't know if you would. I get, I get. I know you like it. I just don't like it as much as me. I probably would put the new or quiet on the Western Front in there too. Um, I probably wouldn't, but not in the um, top one hundred. It'd be like no, I don't know because it's such a. I mean, over like twenty three years, hundred films. I don't know if it would. It might do. I, I'd have to actually make myself a shortlist. Do you know what uh, I? I've, I I appreciate that you you. I was surprised you said Minari straight away though because I would easily put Minari in there. For, I think oh, yeah, Minari is, yeah. is such a forgotten. I know it only came out a couple of years ago, but twenty twenty. But it's such a forgotten film. I love that film yeah, so it's much. Fantastic. I think it's. We, and you know what? It, I like Nomad Nomadland a lot, but it, I actually thought about this recently. I think Minari should have potentially won Best Picture that year. I think it's the better film. Yeah. In in, in retrospect, I think it's. I, at the time, I, think, well, I got why Nomadland did win. But... I think at the time, the two was a toss-up. Well, I found Nomadland very moving, but Minari equally as moving. Yeah. So they were both sort of on the same. Ways. Yeah, absolutely. And but I think uh, I saw someone on TikTok about Minari actually. Someone saying that like someone sort of like retrospectively looking back at it and like what the film means and stuff. And I was like, it's really good. It, it just even his just like talking about the review, it was just like. It is a fucking impeccable movie that is. Um, but yeah, I think things like Dune as well would probably be an argument yeah. to, to put Whack Dune on it. Um, but yeah, I think like any of those top films that we picked out um, from like twenty the past like three years, hundred percent they would be on the hundred on the top one hundred. Yeah. Uh, and I agree with I think Barbie would be there as well, definitely. Yeah, I, I, I know. Year, I, I, yeah, go on. I know we're gonna do our year in review soon. But this year, uh, past lives and the holdovers for me would be in the top 100. I haven't seen either of those yet, but I'm going to try and watch those. So, do you think Oppenheimer yeah, would yeah. make the list? I'm sure if they redid the list, I would, because yeah. <laughs> they asked everyone. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. Again, it's kind of Oppenheimer's sort of for me in that sort of echelon of what, what you were saying about all quite on the Western Front, where I don't know. I'd have to make the shortlist to see. Um, yeah. Off off the top of my head, I would probably say. Got a good chance, but probably not. <laughs> yeah, um, but I don't know, really. Uh, interesting, yeah. So we're starting this thing at the end of our sort of feature podcasts um, where we're doing sort of a trivia thing where one person will come with a topic and the other person has to sort of answer the questions around it or guess certain things for it. So the last one we did was uh, top 10 uh, highest grossing horror franchises. Um in our Halloween podcast. Uh, so I thought for this one, it'd be quite fun. We were talking about Sight and Sound's sort of um, uh, best of best films ever made. They do every 10 years. Uh, and obviously last year, Citizen Kane got dethroned uh, for the first time in about 50 or 60 years, I think, as number one. So I thought it might be quite fun to see if you could guess what the director the top 10 most voted directors are so how how it works for anyone who doesn't know for sound and sound they ask um a whole range of critics of what their top 10 films are 
and then they sort of work it out from there so these are directors that have had any films any films so, so someone might have made 10 films with uh, a list of 10 films with that director that would be 10 phones um see if you can guess it i think you'll get all of them i don't think there's any here okay that should be too hard apart from maybe one but we'll see if you can okay. get that one um, um yeah let's see if you can get them okay i'm gonna start uh kira kurosawa uh kurosawa is number eight kurosawa got 278 okay. votes and got 13.2 percent 13.28 percent of the vote interesting uh i'll stick japanese he may not be top 10 but yashihiro ozu ozu is there too ozu's number four uh 329 okay. votes 15.72 percent of the vote so uh i'll go kubrick gonna go stanley kubrick he's number three stan number three 380 yeah. votes 1800 18.616 where was o, where was ozu sorry fourth fourth right okay uh well i'm trying to think of academic picks here <laughs> that's what i was gonna say is that this is yeah. this is a sort of stark con comparison to the empire list which is that's kind of critics and wider popular vote these are all very these are all very uh yeah is there um, American directors on there? Yes. Scorsese is he there? Scorsese is number twelve. Two hundred fifty-one okay. votes. Spielberg. Spielberg is not on the top ten. No, I didn't think he would. Spiel be Spielberg is thirty-three. Alfred Hitchcock. 131. Alfred Hitchcock is number one oh, with wow. a runaway of 510 votes. He has 100... Fucking... Every academic and sight and sound critic love Vertigo and think it's like one of the best films ever. Which Vertigo is, and Review. But... Yeah. It, it's those two. Yeah. yeah. 510 votes. He's 130 votes above anyone else. He got 24.37% of the vote. So a quarter of everyone who... Uh, submitted, put Hitchcock on their list. Or quarter of the votes. For... A quarter of the votes. Hitchcock. I'm going to go for a rogue one. Go on. There's a director called Edward Yang. Edward Yang is not on there. Okay. See he's, he's made a few films that are pretty like academic picks. Edward Yang is 48. He's not there. He got 90, 98 votes. Maybe, have I got a thing bigger here? Because I feel like I'm going a bit too like... Uh, with Edward Yang and stuff like that. Do we, are they like big, big, big names that we're going for? They are mostly, yes. I think right, okay. you would hear pretty much every one of these names, apart apart from one, I think you'd hear all of these names at film school. <laughs> okay. Um, Hiya Miyazaki? Miyazaki's not on there. Miyazaki is... Ba-ba-ba-ba... I did just see his name. Miyazaki is 42nd with 106 okay. votes. What else is a academic pick? <laughs> do you want to do you want a hint for someone yeah, that I think would be not not the one that I think is tough. I think this one you might not think of. There's someone we've already mentioned today. Interesting. In the Empire podcast who is on this list. Well, Thomas Anderson? Nope. I can find out where he is on the list if you want, if he's even on the list. Sure. 
Paul Thomas Anderson's 54th. He got 91 votes. Interesting. So they're a modern director. Yeah. They've been around a while, but they're still making films. No. Okay. (laughs) I'm just having a nosy as well to see. There is 600... No, more than that. I was way off. 2,275 directors on here because there's obviously loads of one-offs. Is David Lynch on there? It is David Lynch, number 10. Interesting. He is the one. He is 271 votes, 12.95%. So you've got David Lynch at number 10. You've got Kurosawa at number 8. You've got Ozu at number 4. Kubrick at number 3. And Hitchcock at number 1. So I've got 5 out of 10 at the moment. Mm-hmm. I think there's a uh, couple more that... Go on. I could easily get it. Right, tell me, is there any sort of... Because um, it might help me if I know nationalities. I know that's a bit specific, but... Is there any sort of like, can you tell me for the last ones, if they're American, British, are they sort of Asian? or? Like, I think know? if I tell you any of the uh, nationalities. nationalities, you'll get them. I will say okay. they're not Amer- <laughs> they're not American. Uh, one of them's American. Right. Um, Wong Kar Wai? Uh, yeah, one of them's American. Uh, no, Wong Kar Wai is 14th, 238 votes. Interesting. Um... Yeah, sure. I just want to check one person's nationality because yeah okay I didn't want to, I just wanted to make sure that I didn't yeah <laughs> mix someone up oh no hang on there's two there's two American directors two American mis- directors okay I keep, I'm seeing two next to each other that I keep forgetting who they are I, I don't think he's going to be on the list but I might as well guess him Quentin Tarantino not Tarantino. I think no, you're thinking a little bit too. Yeah. Film. Too mom, think. Too think modern. film lecturer. It's not necessarily yeah. modern. It's think film lecturer, not film student. Okay. Tarantino is ninetieth with fifty-five votes. So Tarantino got a tenth of Hitchcock votes. <laughs> um. Any classic Hollywood? Are they classic? Any classic Hollywood left? Yeah. David Lean there. No, sadly not David Lean. Uh, Joseph L. Mankiewicz? No, I'm just seeing where Lean is. Uh, he is 76. Is... Um, I have mentioned a film already in this section of the film, about uh, this section of the podcast, about one of the directors. Oh. I've, I've yeah, mentioned gonna, very, right, very... I'm, I'm going to go super basic academic yeah. here yeah i've got i've got a list of names that have just come to me rattle them off because i think this is how you'll okay. get them i think fw murnau nope um oh my god my mind's gone black okay billy wilder no i get i think you're thinking uh, a little bit you need to find the middle ground between these directors and like tarantino mm. okay I think that's where you need to. Is um, there's a director called uh, Fassbinder. Is he there? No, Fassbinder. Rainer Fassbinder. Okay. Um, Bellini. No, that's a good shout. You're you're in Fellini's thirteenth. You're you're closer. You're warmer. 
okay. let me give you a hint for one of them. Yeah. He is a he is a director that you and I both say we haven't watched enough of. Oh yeah, of course. Tarkovsky. No, Tarkovsky's eleventh. Who's the oh, other one? Bergman. Yeah, there you go. Ingmar Bergman, of number nine. The two most the two most academic picks I could think exactly. of. Exactly. Two hundred. Um okay, so what keep your mindset in. Yeah, go think for think Fellini, Tarkovsky, Bergman, that's the kind of okay. place we're in. I think is the best Chris way Lang? to No, again another good guess, but no. Mm. So let, let me just okay. run through the ones you've got. You've got Lynch yeah. at ten, Bergman at nine, Kurosawa at eight, Ozu at four, Kubrick at three, and Hitchcock at one. John Ford there? I don't think he might have been. No, John Ford, sadly not. Okay. So you've got to remember the, the, the way that people are voting here is, uh, so the, the way people get the votes is the people have voted on a specific film. They've put the film right, on the list okay. and this is the director. So maybe get yourself in that headspace. Because there's, okay. there's a couple of directors that I think you're missing that are a little bit more obvious than I think you're potentially realising. There's two in particular I'm thinking of. The two American directors. Okay. That I think... Awesome Wells. Yep, yeah, there you go. Awesome okay. Wells is number seven, 297 votes. Obviously, he had Citizen Kane. Yes. Awesome Wells. Carol Reed there? No, that's a great shout, but no. Um... I'm kind of just thinking of sort of uh, is John Houston there? No. Okay. I think you might kick yourself. There's there's two aside Coppola. from a there you go, Francis Ford Coppola. That's Francis. the other obvious. I was trying to think of what when you said that they're obviously voting for a film that obviously yeah. Ford... they're going to kind of going to go for a, basically all of Godfather and. Apocalypse Now and stuff like that. Exactly, exactly. So France for Coppola was fifth with 323 votes. So you've got two left. I think one you should get, and I don't know if you'll know the name of the second one. Okay, and neither they're not American or British. Nope. The European? Yep. I okay. think they might both be from the same country. <laughs> I could just Google that. Oh, really? Okay. I think so. Is Bellatar, is Bellatar one? No, that's a good shout, though. Uh, no, they're not from the same country. I thought they were. Okay. But... Okay. Now I'm thinking of countries. <laughs> oh, okay. I reckon I've got... Well, no, maybe I don't have both of them because... Okay, Goddard. Goddard, that's the other one. Goddard is sixth. So you're missing number two. I don't think you'll... I'm not sure you'll get this someone... person. Is there a director called like Dasin or something like that? Uh, there is, but that's not. It's not them. The reason I think you might try and think of the reason why I don't want to give too much away. Try and think of the reason why you, why I don't think you'd get this. So specifically, think about the twenty twenty two sight and sound. Uh, what happened in the twenty twenty two sight and sound? Didn't that film overtake to be number one? Is it the director of that film? <laughs> It is. It is. Chantel Ackerman, her name is. Oh, 
okay yeah i wouldn't have got that <laughs> you, yeah i didn't think you would um interesting 380 votes she got and i have a feeling all 380 were for that film that i keep forgetting the name of the one that's in a dress yeah um, yeah it just came out of nowhere. It. it was like, <laughs> yeah, we keep saying we're going to watch it, but I don't know. Just it came out of nowhere and won. But there you go. So, I was uh, good. I was, it was it, quite tough actually. What do you reckon? Well, I'm I'm proud of you too. Just Evan, just before we go, what year do you think got the most votes? Do you think you could get like, it? 1972. Or close, 75. Interesting. I wonder. Because that's when that French film came out. Of course. I was uh, thinking it was early 70s. I just want to see what else came out in 75 that people voted for before we go, before we wrap up. We've made this a very long podcast. Oh, there's what a lot of films. Nest? There's a lot of films from 1975 on here. Mirror, Tarkovsky, Barry Lyndon, oh, course, Jaws, yeah. Nashville, uh, yeah. One Flew of Cuckoo's Nest. Uh, lots of films I've never heard of. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Dog Day Afternoon. The Man Who Would Be King. Oh, yeah, that's the Michael Caine and Sean Connery film, I think. Yeah. Uh, the Chantal Ackerman film, 258 votes. The Mirror got 91. Barry Lyndon got 76. Uh, Jaws got 39. So it's pretty heavy because... Interestingly, of... I've never seen Barry Lyndon. And it's like the not? only Kubrick film I've not seen outside of those really, really early ones that are all meant to be shit. Um, I I watched it at uni because they tell us to watch it because it he like invented a fucking lens or whatever it was for it. Yeah, uh-huh. I, I would have very much. I, I mean, I've had it on DVD for about six years, but that's just the story of my fucking life. Yeah. Um, it's a good film. And maybe I will I will watch it at some point. I feel like I'm in uh, 2023 mode now. All the good films coming out. Yes, yeah. Well, it it's one of those. I think there's always a slump post Oscars where you like catch up with all the Oscar films and then there's nothing, and that's the best time stuck. Yeah, the old films. I think. Yeah. But yeah, um, thank you for listening. Um, I'm sorry it ran a bit longer, but I'm just going <laughs> to listen to our beautiful voices a bit longer. Um, yeah, if you um, are enjoying the little bits of trivia, if you enjoyed us reviewing a list and just basically shitting on Empire, <laughs> then uh, you're welcome to Shit give us a like, you. give us a rating, um, and you can go check out um, all, of, all of our stuff, like articles and stuff on uh, realreviewing.com. We're on all the socials at Real Reviewing, except for Phil will tell you where we're not at Real Reviewing, because I always forget. <laughs> Letterboxd and uh, Tumblr, we're at Reviews From Real. But everything else, Threads, Facebook, X, not that we really use that anymore, Instagram, everything else is uh, Real Reviewing. Yeah, uh, we no longer have personals on uh, X. Um, no, neither of us use it. You can, get it, you can uh, find us on Threads if you want, though. Yeah, and also if you want to follow us on Letterboxd, you're welcome to. I'm Corey S. Jord on that. I don't know what I am on Letterboxd. I think I'm Phil So Will So. <laughs> Let me check. I have people don't ask me. Philson Wilson is my Letterboxd. Philson I write Wilson great reviews. I, I've given three one stars in a row and a two star. So yeah, it's good stuff. All they're right. all Christmas films and they're all abysmal. <laughs> I watch one called Snowmageddon. Yeah, I watched one called Snowmageddon. It's a Christmas uh, disaster film. It's awful. Oh, that sounds great. Thank you very much for listening. And uh, hopefully uh, the next podcast you listen to will be our year in review for 2023. We're just trying to get through some of the films that we've not seen yet. Um, Unfortunately, we live in the UK, so a lot of the good stuff doesn't come out until next year. (laughs) 
for poor us. Things. But... I, is, is it poor things or something else that doesn't come out till February? It's like yeah, two weeks, two or three weeks like... before the Oscars or something. And like so... Iron Claw doesn't come out for ages either. Is that um, right? Oh no, I think I think it's Iron Claw that comes out in February. Poor things comes out in January. It's like we can get time to watch them. Yeah, very annoying. No, but uh, yeah, that's all. Yeah, thanks for listening. Bye. Thank <laughs> you.